Microphones of Madness is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcasting Network. Oh my god, you got it right the first time. Yeah, awesome. well, Steve, Steve wasn't here to uh, interrupt yeah. me. <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen, we have taken over from Steve. That's right, we've taken over from Steve. Steve was unable to join us tonight, so uh, but the show must go on. Yes. So, it's Saturday night. This microphone's of madness. I'm Rodney. Okay. And there's Kim. And tonight we are continuing our discussion of Key Conga, a sword and soul anthology by uh, Milton Davis and Balogun Ojitade. Uh, the stories we're covering this week are The Hand of Sassetti and The Signal. Mm-hmm. Now, before we get started, uh, you know, the weather's been kind of shit up here on the East Coast yeah, all so day long. Yeah, it's, you know how tall I am. Well, mm-hmm. these snowdrifts are up above my knees. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, but uh, also going on in New Jersey is Heroes and Villains Con, uh, featuring the stars of one of our favorite shows here at Microphones of Madness, Arrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen hey. Amell and John Barrowman are there. Uh, Barrowman. Barrowman. So freaking hot. Yeah. He is a good looking man. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been posting random videos all day from the time he got up this morning to, I think, uh, Stephen Amell went live moments before we did. Bastard. Um, I just wanted, I just wanted to like say, I, I, you know, I got a lot of respect for those guys. I mean, it's not often you see actors and whatnot taking such an interest in an active role engaging with their fans mm-hmm. and and they seem like a couple of great guys same with uh paul blackthorne he wasn't there but he posts he posts a lot of great behind the scene photos of the show cool yeah um second thing is uh we're gonna give some love to lily because we need to and that is she, Lily is the author and an artist behind a webcomic called Red Velvet Requiem. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really good. It's very good. And we hope we'll have her on the show soon to talk about it. But if you go to tapastic.com and just search Red Velvet Requiem, you can check it out. It's free. Um, that is her preferred location for views since she can get a little bit of cash just from people looking. So tapastic.com search for red velvet requiem and uh, check out Lily's comic. Also a friend of the show, Farrah Rose in charge of a magazine called Manted magazine. Mm -hmm. I believe that's uh, mantedmagazine.com. I think so. Yeah. Uh, First issue is live. First issue is live now, and it features a story of our, by our very own Kim. Yeah, how about that? So, yeah, go check that out, mantedmagazine.com. Uh, now, let's hop right into the, the madness here. Mm-hmm. So, we're going to start with the hand of Sassetti. Um, Steve was raving about this story as early as Monday. So can't say as I blame him. Yeah. 
you know, actually, we were talking about Tim Neat last week being the best story in the anthology so far. Mm-hmm. I think Balogun has outdone Davis this time around. I think this story is easily the best in the anthology so far. And it is definitely Balogun Ojetati's best story in the anthology so far. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I'm kind of mixed feelings about this one, actually. Okay. Um, I I love the story. I love the fact that it's Egypt-like. I'm a a huge Egyptophile. Just the title, Saseti, was Mm -hmm. enough to send me to shivers. (laughs) (laughs) But? But the main character is an inventor. Yeah. And one of my little itty-bitty pet peeves about fantasy settings it seems like any time you have a fantasy setting in a culture that is fairly primitive-ish, or at least way beyond, or not, not nearly as advanced as our current society, if you ever need something to move the plot along or a super weapon or anything like that, all you got to do is throw in a character who's an inventor. And you can get away with whatever shit you want. Well, yeah, but, I mean, you can't, can't do that. You can't just have it there. Something that's an uncommon device. But the interesting the interesting thing about when they use this particular inventor trope in, in other stories and even in the hand of Sassetti mm-hmm. is that they invent things that we recognize today. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's always some bizarre spin on the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, except mm-hmm. for... The, Except for the steam sword. Yeah, well, um, I was trying to think of, oh, solder. We have the solder today. Yeah. Which which is used in welding. Right. They found a way to turn that into a weapon. uh, Not, kind of. It's kind of, basically it works on the same principle as a, say, a soldering iron. Yeah. But it's it's a sword with copper pipes running the length of it that are used to uh, heat the blade. Heat the blade, yeah. Which which is pretty pretty uh, interesting interesting thing. You don't see that type of... Um, no, you don't. And the reason why is because most metals that would have been available at the time wouldn't have done well if they had been superheated. Well, it wasn't. I wouldn't say it was superheated. It was at least red hot. Now, yeah. of course, you you heat a metal to red hot; it's not going to retain its sharpness. Right, exactly. But then again, you know this this he didn't use it in a sharp sort of way; it was just pointed enough to stab and slash. And you know it did what it and did. They got away with it. I mean, we could probably build one and test it, but <laughs> ooh, ooh, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. So the so, the story concerns the aforementioned of inventor. His name is Aku. <laughs> uh he is uh the we the story opens, he's testing this new invention, uh which is a, a like basically a portable tower, like a siege tower type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh two litters on top of trained war elephants. 
mm-hmm. that come together, fit together, and they make this bridge across the two elephants. Mm-hmm. And from there, they use their mounted weapons. Ra's reign. Now we'll get to that in a second because we don't want to give that one away yet. Yeah. Uh, he's got his apprentice, uh, Amet, a mm-hmm. uh, young lady. Um, and that's really all we see. I mean, she's she's pretty much she's pretty much Aku's equal. I mean, you know, she's she's mm-hmm. smart. We don't yeah, actually get to see her do much other than being, you know, the gopher. But mm-hmm. um, no, but it takes training to, you know, like well, in war you yeah. have somebody to hold the the weapon and someone else to load it. It takes training to get to be that point. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So she's not. She's not. Some little rabbit. No, no, she's not a she's not a rabbit, but she just kind of she fades into the background a lot. Yeah. Um. Let's see. So Aku, they're testing this this bridge thing, and he gets attacked. Turns out it's just a test of reflexes by his uncle, mm-hmm. uh, General Mu. Uh, Mu is heading out to. Uh, locate a sorcerer named Sasetti, uh, who has kidnapped the current wizard king's um, daughter. The hang-up here is that Sasetti has been dead for 700 years. Yeah. What's up with that? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. 700, man. He does, he does give us that one great one-liner there that uh, the rumors of Sasetti's deaths were exaggerated. Mm-hmm. Which which was kind of fun, yeah. And and of course, Moo gets beaten by by Sassetti because mm-hmm. you know he's he's only a secondary character. Yeah. Um. So. Well, not only him, but his his, all of his, his force of soldier, jackal yeah. jackal, jackal warriors, warriors. who yeah, are they're... trained to hunt dark magic users. Exactly. So what the hell is this that it will beat all of them without even right. Mussing his hair up. Now, Aku goes to see the king because his uncle asked him to. His uncle has been poisoned. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the king tells him the story of Sassetti's hand. When the king was younger, he went to Sassetti's tomb, cut off his right hand. That's just rude. Took it back home, started doing a, a, a like ritual cut off his own right hand, went to sleep, and the next morning, Sassetti's hand is grafted onto the stump of his arm. The hand itself gives this king the power to see into the future. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's been using to rule the, the rule the kingdom. So, Aku decides he's going to go after Sassetti. And uh, you know we have a an attack where where Sa- Aku uses his inventions to defeat Sasetti's minions. Mm-hmm. And so we got the flamethrower. We got the steam sword. We got the yeah. He uses the flamethrower. Now the flamethrowers are are not that. Um, what what is that? The the horns of Sekhmet. Horns of Sekhmet. Yep. Um, now that's that's not. Too far fetched since you know there is the legendary Greek fire, right? 
and there is a precedent for it. Um, I think there was supposed to have been some kind of ancient weapon in China that was like a flamethrower. Yeah, I, I think so. I have, to, I have to look it up to be sure, but I, I think I've seen it on history or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I know that China had rockets in the sixth century. This is true. This is true. Yeah. And that and that type of ordinance. So, so it's not know, too in left out in left field for that. No, not really. I mean, all you need is pressurized flammable liquid and an ignition source. Yeah. I mean, that's so that's it could all, be done. Yeah, that's all a flamethrower is. Um. So they use yeah they use the flamethrower in the first bout. Then they use uh, the steam sword that we talked about at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, then which sounds, which sounds really cool, like it should be in part of like steampunk. Or something. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. I was thinking that you know here we are in a classic sword and sorcery tale, and mm-hmm. just just this little pinch of steampunk has been thrown in there just to add yeah. some interesting flavor. Cause I imagine Aku's, you know, a lot of bronze and brass and clockwork and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then wood and a lot of, you know, just fun stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I like, I like what they do with these. They make actually plausible sounding weapons. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, if this is all supposed to be a setup for uh, an RPG later on, thanks, guys, for letting your players know that they can get away with this shit just by having an inventor character. Best char- <laughs> One of the best characters to have is if it doesn't exist, build it. You can science it up. That's right. My character is a scientist, and I can totally MacGyver this bunch of stone knives and bear skins into a working computer. Oh, you can't go that far, but you know you could uh, it, make a flamethrower. <laughs> um, flamethrowers are cool, so I will not yeah. bash flamethrowers. But you know, even even the steam sword. I mean, it's still he uses it, but he still becomes the you know prototypical uh, sword and sorcery hero. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you know, he goes in there and he has to stab and hack and you know and it's just he just has a really cool sword and you know it's and it's kind of an interesting twist and to have a sword that he designed that's built on some type of scientific principle Mm -hmm. rather than a magic sword that Mm -hmm. he pulled out of a rock or something Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know i built the sword myself of course of course um so Aku gets into the temp tomb. Um, we're going to bring up Ra's reign in a second here because that's just too cool of a thing to, to <laughs> not make a point of discussion. Mm-hmm. He goes into to, to, to Sassetti's tomb where he's confronted by the daughter of the uh, king who is possessed by the spirit of Sassetti. And Sassetti tells, you know, he's like, why did you do this? Why are you trying to take over the kingdom? And he's like, dude, I'm not trying to take over the king. All of this was just to get you here. And he's like, me? What the fuck? Yeah, and he's like, because you're the you're the only clever and guy clever enough to to get here. Yeah. So 
Sassetti, of course, can is vastly more powerful than uh, than the current Wizard King, and can see the future without his hand, mm-hmm. and tells him and tells Aku the future, where the king is going to end up being this evil tyrant. He's going to mm-hmm. pillage and enslave all of Kikonga. You know, you need to stop it. And now that I've said my piece, I'm just gonna, I'm going to let the girl go and see you later. So that's kind of fun because they kind of invert the typical fantasy villain. Cause you know, it, yeah, we don't have the major confrontation that's already happened. Yeah, the major the major confrontation for him is for Aku is is disposing of the minions. Getting in the temple, yeah. And you know that that has already occurred. He was successful. Now he's in there. He meets the final boss, and the final boss says, "Look, dude, I just want to talk." So he's actually not the final boss, right? As it turns so, out, as it turns out, the final boss is the guy he's working for. Yeah. Uh, the other the other thing that was really fun is that he goes back. the The daughter's been saved. He's heralded as a hero, made an officer in in the in the jackal uh, soldiers, and says, "Now you have to go on a quest." And what I no, want now you, now is, you get to go on a quest. Yeah, now you me. get to go on a quest for me. It's a privilege. Yes, and yes. what I want you to do is I want you to get this. I forgot to write it down, but it's like a three-face mask. Yeah, the mask of Itu Nusami Mujo, the three-faced one, mm. which, if you read it, was exactly how Sasetti described the main boss as having three faces. Correct. So that means that, that Aku is successful in his quest. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Possibly he might take that that uh, take that quest, but purposely fail or not deliver the mask so he can change the future. Except that we know from the next story that that doesn't happen. Yeah, because in the next story, the Glen has already fallen. Well, we'll get to that in a second. Let's talk about Ra's reign because that's yeah. the that's the big the big techno jump, which is effectively mm-hmm. a Ra's Gatling gun. Effectively, it's not even like a Gatling gun. It's like a grape shot cannon that fires explosive cannonballs. Mm, yeah. Um, where you shoot like the, like little fist sized cannonballs. Yeah, it shoots little fist-sized cannonballs, but those cannonballs explode, and there's a bunch of little cannonballs inside. So it's like a grape-shot cannon that turns into buckshot once it, like, penetrates. So it's like a primitive Sabo round or something. Hmm. Um, Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that that was really fun, you know. Yeah, you blow up the giant monster with superior technology. I mean, that's, that's mm-hmm. always fun. Um, yeah. And, and that was, that was a cool little thing, but you know, yeah, that was, that kind of stretched it a little bit. I mean, the yeah. steam sword was cool. The flamethrowers were cool. Mm-hmm. 
you know, if it had been like maybe explosive arrows or something like that, I mm -hmm. would have been able to buy it. But, you know. Yeah, this was yeah. just a gigantic totally shock. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. The the one the one thing that Ojitate does in the story that really kind of throws me off is elephant high five. Yeah, I I laughed at that one. <laughs> that, I, I know, I mean, it was it was in there as a joke. It was it was yeah. in there as a visual is a kind of a visual joke. And and an anachronism. Because the story is already full of anachronisms with the steam sword and, and, and his inventions. But yeah, that one just kind of jarred me a little bit, but it recovered and he went right back into the story and it was rocking. But yeah, I thought I thought that was one of the best stories in the book so far. It's got that classic sword and sorcery vibe. Yeah, it was a pretty good story, I admit. Yeah, and 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 Aku I kind of like as a character. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I would like to see more stories about Aku, and maybe there are a couple more in here. I want to see more Aku and Amat. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I it think... It was actually hinted at in there that you know, they could they, actually they have a future married. together. Yeah. And that she would become the Wizard King. Yeah. Oh. Microphones of Madness, brought to you by... Brownies. Brownies. They're really hot. Here, here. Take that. Where's mine? Here. Ah, oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm not going to eat it in front of me. <laughs> not while the show's actually going on. All right. So, so that brings us to the end of Sassetti, the hand of Sassetti. Now we have the signal, which is Milton Davis. Mm -hmm. uh, Milton Davis has been kicking ass throughout this entire anthology. Mm -hmm. But uh, this one's kind of interesting. This one kind of has kind of a horror flavor to it. Yeah. Um, it was. It did read a little awkward at the beginning. There was. There were a couple sentences that were. He was trying to be very descriptive, um, but you know, cover the gray hairs on his sunken chest, and you know, though though there were a couple awkward sentences that that were kind of like, mm, let's go. But by the second paragraph, that that rectified itself and. And we're treated to an interesting story. Uh, middle of the night, mysterious woman is brought before uh, Edfu, yeah, who's the fort master. Who's the fort master? Uh, said to be a member of a cult that's been uh, breaking through, raping mm -hmm. and pillaging and destroying stuff called the uh, Jokowatu. Um, they're so, basically a cult, which whose main aim seems to be to get everybody to worship their God. Right. Right. And so they are said West. to have flying machines, which, hmm, I wonder if Aku built those. I wonder. <laughs> and those flying machines are also called Joka. Yep. Yep. And which are shaped like dragons. Um, and, and apparently the cult members are called like dragon people or something because the prisoner yeah. is referred to as a dragon woman. Mm -hmm. So they obviously uh, she know what also, are. Right. She also has a small horn behind right, her ear. Right. 
So this is a slightly different species of human. Mm-hmm. Um, they they all belong to this cult that's been like aggressively, excuse me, practicing aggressive evangelism. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ed Fu takes this woman, locks her in the dungeon, calls on his witch, who is named Falasa. Falasa. Now, Edfu and Falasa were once lovers, mm-hmm. but uh, he's also he's in, in a marriage of uh, political significance right now. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about his wife in a moment. Uh, the prisoner manages to uh, defy Falasa's attempts to forcibly read her mind in that Kylo Ren sort of way. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to find a way to get him into every episode now, I think, aren't we? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. If I can only figure out a way to get uh, to get Ray into every episode. Oh, that, that would rock. Yeah. Work on that, Kim. Um, so, <laughs> Philosoph fails at reading the, the prisoner's mind. Uh, the prisoner eventually escapes, kills Philosoph, finds her way up to the ramparts of the fort, and sets herself on fire as a signal to the rest of the Jokowatu who are mm-hmm. coming to attack the fort. Yep. And they're coming in the middle of the night, which yeah, and they're, they're, coming they're totally the not expecting at all. Right. Right. Which, although they should have been expecting it because, I mean, Edfu even mentions that that's kind of their MO. Mm-hmm. Is that they come in the middle of the night without warning. They just come in, attack you, you die. Mm-hmm. And this in this story, everybody dies. <laughs> nice, yeah. Travel um, on Jukawatu. Yeah. Now this is uh, we we were talking about Tim Neat the other day, and mm-hmm. and their inversion of the uh, antagonist. Um, this is the second story that doesn't feature a woman as the main character. This is this is the second of his stories to do that. Um, we had Tim Neat in Tim Neat, who was the, mm-hmm. I, don't, the I don't know if she was the villain. But or... She was the target. Let's, let's right. say that she was the target, right? She was the actual target. Uh, in this story, we see, uh, we see his, uh, handmaiden. Mm-hmm. She gets slapped around. We see, um, the prisoner herself. She never gets a name. She, they just call no. her Jokowatu. Yeah. Uh, we see Falasa, who now has a very important role in the kingdom. And what I find interesting about Falasa is that it's mentioned in the story that um, Edfu considers her to be the only female that is like his equal. His equal. Yeah. Even his wife doesn't get that respect. Mm-hmm. But Falasa does. Well, this their relationship. His relationship with his wife is like kind of severely fucked up yeah um, purely political they hate each other yeah his wife is dame celia udufu mm-hmm. uh she she's his wife as as kim mentioned that she is a it's a marriage of political convenience uniting two houses um each house of course running a fort along this area mm-hmm. so it strengthened the relationship between the two forts 
So they kind but, of have to stay together to keep the peace. Right. They kind of they, they have to stay together to keep that alliance going, to keep the peace, to keep the uh, relationship between the two forts. Um, they've done their civic and political obligation. They've had children. Mm-hmm. Um, but their relationship is very cold. Yes. And and disrespectful on both sides. Dis- disrespectful on both sides. Um mm-hmm. I mean, the only time we see Udufu in in the story is a confrontation between her and Edfu. Mm-hmm. Over this prisoner. Um, over this prisoner. She wants to come and view the prisoner. He tells her, well, you know, I'm going to torture her. And she's, you know, why are you going to call the witch? Why do you have to use her? She's, he's like, ah, see, I told you you didn't have a stomach for it. Go back to bed. The fucker. And presumably, presumably she does, because that's the last we see of her. Yeah, she doesn't follow him. She doesn't follow him. She just stands at the top of the stairs and glares at him. Um. Yeah. And now she's this, thinking, yeah, you fucker, go, go, yeah. fuck fucking witch. Exactly. <laughs> um. So yeah, that's 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 what we have going on with this story. Um. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's it's a quality story, like all of Milton's stories in this anthology. Um, it does veer toward that, I guess, um, almost almost kind of a Conan type story that that weird tales, sword and sorcery uh, type know, of thing. Yeah, I mean, you had your classic cult elements. You had mm-hmm. an evil woman who was out to kill. The good or the good guys or whatever, right? And then just the yeah, the evil cult that comes in and just destroys everything, and everybody feels helpless against it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this was meant to introduce the Jokowatu because they appear in later stories. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, you know, just kind of give us a vibe of how they operate, mm-hmm. and that they they operate in a way that's not. Um what the people of Kikonga are used to. Right. Uh, it's a really know, dangerous it, force. In, right. In it, an um, army. It seems that, it seems that um, the people of Kikonga in, in combat are used to uh, honor and, mm-hmm. and just open confrontation and, and that sort of like thing. Direct, These guys, direct, yeah, direct confrontation, two armies on a battlefield, the winner, the loser, you know, strongest one wins, you know, the strongest one wins. And that's worthy of respect. Mm-hmm. The Jokowatu, you know, are this kind of, uh, you know, horde, basically a barbarian horde that just sweeps mm-hmm. in, destroys everything. Um, they are barbarians yeah. because they have that technology that beats out. Yeah. They have the flying machine the technology. Yeah. Um, now, we also we also think you know they have this reputation as being not only evil but supernaturally evil, as Edfu calls the prisoner a child of the cleave. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the cleave, of course, is where all the monsters in Kikanga come from. Right, right. But uh, you know, and, and we, we it is a very bleak ending. It just it ends. Like I said, with everyone dying. Yeah. 
I mean, Ed Fu gets caught on fire by the signal woman, mm-hmm. and he can't take it, so he plunges to his death. Right. Right. He jumps right off the ramparts. Ramparts. He burns. The fort burns. Everybody inside mm-hmm. the fort burns. And the Jokowatu win. They've claimed yet another piece of territory. The only thing that got me was that he spent all this time building up these characters. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, he talked about Ed Fu and his wife and how right. they yeah. all, all this stuff going on. And then we had Pulasa. He's got her taking a bath during one scene. Right. And how right. she so loves the oils and all this other stuff. And then mm-hmm. she dies. Yep. Just like that. Not even uh, on camera. Yeah, exactly. We but, don't get to your death. But you know that's that's kind of you know that's kind of the way uh, somebody like Lovecraft would write a story. You know, we get all of this background with a char- of a character, mm-hmm. intimate details of their life, only for them to go mad and commit suicide or be eaten by a monster or something like that. And it's got it's got that same it's got that same vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, because we do, we get to know these characters a little bit, a little bit about their history. And, you know, you kind of like, wow, you know, the dude was kind of a dick, but did he deserve to go out like that? <laughs> Probably not. And yet here it is. It's right. reminded that now, can go anytime, anywhere. Right. Kind of like and, The Walking Dead. Any number of sad and horrible sorts of ways. Yes. Now, <laughs> you're, you... Made made the assertion when we were talking about the hand of Sasetti that the Jokowatu are Aku's people, possibly. No, I think you actually made that assertion because you said that did did Aku possibly build the Joka? Yeah, that's possible. But you also but you said they were mentioned in the next story. They are. They appear in the next two stories. Oh no 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 no. For the no. next when we were talking about Sasetti. You had mentioned that they appear, that those that group of people appears again. So I thought you might have been saying that the no, I think Jokowatu were. I think I was saying at the end that we know that his mission failed because in the next story, Manukash has fallen. Okay. And then I said, once we mentioned the Jokowatu, that right. they appear in future stories. Okay. Very good. Very good. So they're being set up as a as a major bad guy in this one. Mm-hmm. They're they're I, I guess so they're kind of the the orcs of Kikonga. Yeah. Quite possibly. The Saruman of Kikonga. The yeah, Saruman. Maybe not. So Urukai, maybe? Um, maybe, yeah. That works. All right. So yeah, both of these stories are good. This anthology just keeps is, is like it's hit its stride and it's, it's kind of like in the middle. We've got a lot of like shorter pieces that kind of set up the world of key Conga. Mm-hmm. And we get to this point. I, I think we, when we, once we get to Tim neat is when this anthology really kicks into high gear and we start getting, you know, the stories we've gotten some of the legends around key Conga. Mm-hmm. We've gotten a couple of little character vignettes here and there, but now we're getting to the really meaty stuff. The fun stuff. And, yeah. And both of these are, are great stories. Uh, I think, I think 
the hand of Sassetti might be my favorite so far. Yeah. Although I did, I did like the signal. I did like the signal. I did like the, um, the not happily ever after ending. Mm -hmm. Um, and the introduction of this, this, uh, Jokuwatu cult. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, can't can't wait to get to the next couple stories. Yeah. So um yeah, so that does it for for this episode of our read through of Kikonga. Uh so we're gonna start wrapping it up. Uh Monday Night Heroes still on hiatus as we're doing our secret squirrel project. Mm-hmm. Uh that we won't Don't worry, see. we'll be back. We'll be back. We'll be back. We're actually going to pick up where we left off at uh should be should be the first week of February. Monday Night Heroes will be back. Um, we'll pick back up with uh, Eclipse Phase, Ozymandias, and then we'll get back into regular rotation from there. Uh, Friday, uh, we will be once again journeying into. We're we're on still on the auction, right? No, we finished that. Well, oh, finished I, that I think I think we we hit the we we finished the main battle. I think Dreams right. is trying to make us uh, explore the mansion a little bit. Right. So that may be leading so, to something else. So there might be some denouement going on and yeah. stuff like that. But So it'll be one more episode of, of the auction. And then uh, you guys will be on to something new. And next Saturday, uh, we're going to take a break from Kikonga for a week and talk about something that Steve and I have been eagerly awaiting since, oh, halfway through season one, and that is DC's Legends of Tomorrow premiered this past week. Uh, I think Steve might have caught it, and you started watching it. I haven't seen it yet. I started watching it. Um, I, I watched like two or three minutes of it, and it, what right. I saw was good. I'm like, so, yeah, we'll be, we'll be two episodes into uh, – Legends of Tomorrow, and we'll be discussing what we think of that show, if it lived up to our expectations, uh, and probably why it is, is a better Justice League show than we're going to get at the movie theater. <laughs> and I have zero expectations of it, so my, I will have like a clean slate. There you up. go. Uh, yeah, so that's about everything for today. So, good night, everybody. Yeah. We're not going to do good night, Gracie, this week since Steve's not here. Okay. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thanks we for watching. You. And uh, we'll catch you guys on the flip side. Night. <laughs>